Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi, we are in a series right now of parents in the Bible who had a child die. Last week, we started looking at Job. And as I was digging through the book of Job and studying him, I discovered so much is there that can be helpful to us that I divided it into two parts. So last week, we looked at how everything started. We looked at Job's response and at his wife reminding ourselves that it wasn't just Job that lost all 10 of his children. His wife did too. And I believe her response of telling Job to curse God and die was out of that place of deep, deep grief that we know all too well. Many of you have experienced the same kind of anger at God for allowing your child to die. And honestly, I can't say that if I had lost all five of my children at the same time, that I wouldn't have had a a similar response. I like to think that I wouldn't, but I, I have to be honest and say that I don't know what's in my heart. None of us know what's really in our hearts until we're faced with something like this. If you didn't hear last week's episode, You might want to go back and listen to that one before continuing with this one. So after that introduction, let's go ahead and pick up where we left off. And we're going to take a look at the four friends who came to be with Job in his disaster and all the things that he had had just happened to him. Now, Job's friends, they started out the right way. They just sat with him in silence for seven days. But then they decided to open their mouths and to give their best solution out of their ignorance. They had never been through what Job was dealing with, but they decided they had wisdom to give him. And they started in on trying to figure out what Job had done wrong to make God so angry at him to allow this to happen. They just knew there had to be a reason, and the only one they could see was God's anger and punishment for something Job did. And that can be a lot like religious people around us, can't it? They believe, and maybe you used to believe this too, that God's favor is having good things happen in our lives. And if something bad happens, it's because we're doing something wrong. The thing is, we don't pay attention to so many other verses that give other reasons for bad things happening in our lives. We have God's favor all wrong. We have good things happening as blessings and favor and bad things happening as we've lost God's blessings and favors. And that's just not what it is. It's interesting in Job chapter 16, verse 2, His response, Job's response to these three friends, he says, you are all miserable comforters, all of you. We, I think every single one of us can relate to that, that we have people around us who are miserable comforters because they're not just sitting with us. They're not 
just being with us. They're trying to fix us. They're trying to make us all better. And I feel like unless you can bring my child back, you can't fix me. You can't make me better. But you can be with me in the darkness and in the pain and walk with me through this. And so I think it's kind of funny that that was Job's response. You're all miserable comforters, all of you. Now, it took until Job chapter 32. It says the three men finally stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Job insisted, I have done nothing wrong. I don't know why God allowed this. I don't know why this happened. But it's not because I did something wrong. I mean, they spent like 30 chapters going back and forth and arguing about this. And then... The younger one, there were four friends here. His name was Elihu, and he begins to speak his thought in his minds. And he said, okay, you guys are all older. I let you say what you felt like you needed to say. And now that you're done, I'm going to share my thoughts here. So then in Job chapter 33, I want to read to you Elihu says, to Job, you have said in my hearing, I heard the very words, I am pure, I have done no wrong, I am clean and free from sin, yet God has found fault with me. He considers me his enemy. Now, we know that isn't what happened, but that is how Job felt. So Elihu says in chapter 35, do you think this is just? You say, I am in the right, not God. Yet you ask him, what profit is it to me, and what do I gain by not sinning? And I think that's how a lot of us feel about God and about our lives as Christians after the death of our child, because we think, if this is how God's going to reward me for my faithfulness to him, why should I even bother anymore? I did everything right, and look at what God did. Look at what he allowed to happen in my life. And I think we have... A lot of that same heart and the same thought that Job was struggling with. And the interesting thing is that this fourth friend, Elihu, was actually, he was kind of upset at Job for justifying himself instead of God. And he was also frustrated with the three friends that spoke first for condemning Job in insisting that he hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't sinned to bring God's wrath on him. Now, Elihu tries to remind them all that God is powerful beyond their understanding. And in chapter 36, Verse 26, he says, How great is our God beyond our understanding. The number of his years is past finding out. He says uh, in chapter 37, God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. And and he goes on to talk about how God uh, speaks and the snow falls and how God unleashes the lightning and how he drives the cold winds. And later in the chapter, he says, the Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. And then God steps in. So everybody's been talking. Everybody's been saying their piece and what they think about what has happened. And then God steps in. And it's interesting to me that it says the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Wow. Okay. That right there to me speaks a lot. The Lord spoke to Job 
out of the storm. And God comes in and he gives the divine perspective. See, Job has tried to reason things out with God as his equal because he knows that wisdom comes from God. And he feels like he has God's wisdom. But the thing is, the wisdom that God gives us, it still can't even compete with God's very own wisdom. And so as God steps in and speaks to Job out of the storm, God does rebuke Job, but he doesn't judge him and he doesn't condemn him. That should make you feel very relieved. If you are struggling with God and angry with him and you don't understand and you've been having it out with him, it's okay. Because I think God's going to, exactly like he spoke to Job, he didn't judge him, he didn't condemn him for uh, his response. But the interesting thing is God also doesn't answer Job's questions or his accusations. Even though Job has demanded an answer from God, God doesn't give a reason as to why Job has suffered like this. And that continues to remain a mystery to Job. What God does is he reveals his greatness and his majesty and his omnipotence and his all power. It, it, he, he starts telling, asking Job things like, were you there when I did this? Do you know how I did that? And to me, it seems like he moves Job from a place of religion to knowing about God and thinking he knows God and moves him to a place of actually knowing God through personal relationship and personal encounter with him. And Job no longer had a religious relationship with God by the end of this because he had actually encountered the living God himself. There's a scripture that has just fascinated me for many years, and it's Psalm 103, verse 7, and it says that God made his ways known unto Moses and his works unto the children of Israel. His works is what he does, but his ways is who he is, and that's where I want to be. I don't want to just know about God's works and what he does and he doesn't do, but I want to know his ways. I want to know him more than, than I want to just try to understand his actions. So let's, let's look at how all of this ends. Job's three friends, apparently not Elihu, the younger one that spoke last, they were actually reprimanded by God for their wrongness to Job how they were supposedly his comforters. Job was right. They were miserable comforters. They did not have it right. And God told them that they had to offer a sacrifice that Job had to accept. And Job was to pray for them so that God wouldn't deal with them. The scripture says, according to their folly and their wrong representation of him. And so that's what they did. They sacrificed and Job received that sacrifice and he prayed for these people who had so wronged him when they were supposed to be comforting him. It's very clear to us, we all live in a before and an after, don't we? It seems like Becca's death, my daughter's death, is, is this marker in my life that things happened before or things happened after. That's like a marker. And Job actually had that same marker in his life because after he accepted the sacrifices and after he prayed for his friends, in the last chapter 
in Job 42, verse 12, says, this is, this is interesting to me, says that God blessed the after. He blessed the latter part of Job's life even more than the first or the former part. That blows my mind because it doesn't seem possible, does it? How is it even remotely possible to have more blessings in our life, to have a better after than before Becca died? And as I really started thinking about this, I'll be honest, I actually found myself crying at the end of the book of Job, having read through it with the eyes of someone who's lost a child, because I could see how faithful God is, that even when we mess up and we get in God's face and we're mad at him about why he allowed our child to die, he still has good things for us that go beyond what we're experiencing. And what I see as the bottom line in all of this is that Satan is our adversary and he will do whatever it takes to alienate and destroy our relationship with God, our relationship with our loving creator, our redeemer, the one who sent Jesus to die for us a cruel, horrible death so that we wouldn't be separated from him. It is Satan's goal to drive a wedge between us that keeps us separated and one of his best weapons is accusations. He accused God of sheltering Job so that Job would love him. He accused, the accusation that Satan came with was that Job was only serving God because of the payoff, because of what he could get from God as stuff in this life. And to us, Satan accuses God of not loving us, or he would have protected us, or he would have protected our child. See, he wants to prove to God that we're all frauds in our relationship with God, and that we will all turn our backs on him if we don't get what we want from him. And in some ways, he succeeds, doesn't he? Because in our culture, in, in a lot of our churches and our religious upbringing, there's some teaching that kind of messes with us in that way. And we seem to link righteousness on our end and blessings and God's favor. It's, it's like we treat God like a, a slot machine with our preconceived payoff. We seem to think that having good things come our way is a sign of God's favor. And if bad things come our way, it's God's fault. And he isn't a very good God. And in his love and his wisdom, God actually lifted his hand on Job's life to silence the accuser. Wow. And in his wisdom, I believe that God allows circumstances in our lives that he could easily prevent by his power because he has something he wants to give us or do for us that is so much greater than we can comprehend in our grief and probably ever comprehend it in our life here on earth. The book of Job shows us how important it is in our deepest 
darkest suffering that makes absolutely no sense to come to the place that we love God himself more than all of his gifts and to trust the wise goodness of God because his ways are so beyond our limited human wisdom. See, God saw Job as a righteous man. And God sees you and me as righteous in the blood of Jesus. And there is righteous suffering that is the result of unseen spiritual conflicts between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. But I want you to notice something. Job thought the Lord had taken everything away. Remember that scripture, and a lot of us are familiar with the song, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But the thing is, that wasn't true. The Lord isn't who took everything away from Job. That was his interpretation. There was absolutely nothing that Job did that opened the door for the enemy to have a right to mess with him, as some people teach. And in case you didn't realize it, God and Satan had this exchange twice. Well, Satan, have you noticed my servant Job, who loves me with all of his heart and serves me, and he's righteous? So when we search for a reason of why this happened, we tend to simplify God like Job's friends did. Or like Job, we accuse God based on our limited evidence of God being wrong. And we put God in the judgment seat. And this is where trust in God comes in. Trusting God, even in this mess, even in this pain, is a choice that we get to make. Trust means we probably won't know why. We may not understand it. It doesn't mean we have to like it or even be okay with it. But trust means we hang on to God knowing that God tells us he will bring good out of everything we go through. Romans 8, 28. I know that's a scripture that some of us struggle with and some of us hang on to it like an anchor. But that's what he says. And somehow he will turn it around to benefit our life while bringing him glory and bringing down the enemy. He has a plan that ends in a way that reunites us forever in heaven. And he tells us that he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, we're told that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I don't know about you, but this is something that I have to believe in, or I don't know how I'll make it here on this earth. The book of Job ends with Job full of hope and comfort. And remember, it does say that the latter was better than the former. And I believe the message from Job for us as bereaved parents is in seeing that the sovereignty of God encompasses not just his creation here on earth, but all the powers of evil. The enemy is just a pawn in his hands. And to understand even a portion 
of the magnitude and majesty and the power of God can give us so much needed hope in God's redemptive power that is at work in our lives, the suffering believer. Now, I want to close this out the same way I did last week with Job's final amazing response. And he said to God, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Surely, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. God's wonder is beyond what we can know or understand. So let's choose to trust in his plan, even in the pain and the confusion we have after the death of our child, because I believe if Job can do it with losing 10 children and everything he went through, then we can do it too. It is time for us to announce the birthdays this week. First of all, we have Nicholas Barrett Graves, who was born on May 3rd and is forever 23. And we have Shannon Olson, who was also born on May 3rd, and she is forever 19. If you would like to have your child's birthday shared with our listeners, it's very easy. All you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. Fill out the form, submit the information, and I will be honored to announce your child. And we celebrate with the families of Nicholas and Shannon the day that they came into this world and into their lives. I just want to mention that the reason you're able to listen to this podcast or benefit from any other resources from GPS Hope is because of bereaved parents who wanted to make sure that others, like yourself, were able to find the same hope they received. And I want to offer you the same opportunity to be a grieving parent sharing hope by keeping us moving forward with continuing to offer support and resources to those who will be coming along behind you on this unwanted journey. Just go to gpshope.org support where you can either set up to become a monthly partner with GPS Hope or you can give a special gift. Both are greatly appreciated and every dollar helps. Until next week, remember to hold on. Pain eases there is hope.